So good morning, church. We are going to complete our series on the book of Ephesians that we're calling Ephesians Rediscovering Church. Uh, with, uh, with the changes uh, in this world around us, we have to review our beliefs as it relates to church because if we can't all meet together, then that changes everything. So we need to get back to the basics. And that's what we're looking at in the book of Ephesians. So uh, this morning we're in chapter 6. We're going to finish this series here. Uh, and there's some amazing things that he teaches us if we'll pay attention. Because we don't live in just a natural world. We also live in a spiritual world. And so we have to think that way. We have to pray that way. We have to act that way, understanding that there are, there are spiritual powers we'll never understand. I can't say we never understand. We'll never be able to grasp at work, behind the scenes, right now as we speak, right here. So we're going we're gonna to start. He, chapter 6 really has two different topics in it. But, of course, it's one letter, so we can weave those topics together. The first topic has to do with the church as a family. And the second topic has to do with the uh, spiritual aspect of the church. So we're putting those together, and we're calling it in defense of the family. In de defending the family of God. How do we do this? So I've got nine points here from chapter 6 I want us to look at that kind of summarizes what he's trying to communicate to us in the book of Ephesians. So in, um, in verse 1, 1, 2, and 3, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your, your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So here's the first concept. As the church, we, we are children. We're all children in a family. All of us, no matter how old you are, we're children. But we need to look at the principle he's saying here. Children, obey your parents. God puts parents in your life to give guidance and protection for, for all of us. And that's not just true in the natural family. That's also true in the spiritual family. God has given each of us spiritual parents. As I look back on my spiritual journey, there are a couple key people who were parents to me. They came along beside me and put their arm around me. They took my hand. They kind of guided me along in those early days of my spiritual walk. They're my fathers. And I want to treat them like fathers. What, how do you treat them? Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, and honor your father and your mother. Sometimes my spiritual parents didn't do what I thought they should do. Sometimes they kind of disappointed me, but I never dishonored them because I saw this as a principle with a promise that your things will go well with you. I want things to go well with me. I want God's favor in my life. And you'll live a long life on the earth. I want to do everything I can to live my life to the full, not just a portion of it. So I have to obey my spiritual parents and honor them. So are you honoring the spiritual mothers and fathers in your life? Maybe it would be a good idea to get on the phone this afternoon and call them up and just say, I just want to thank you for investing in me, helping my life go in the right direction. So we're, we're children. 
And then he goes on in the next verse to go to this next, next aspect. There's nine of these. Here's number two, verse four. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Not only are we children, we are fathers. Each of us in our spiritual journey, we start out being children and we need somebody to guide us and tell us not to do that and tell us how to do things better to honor God. And then we grow and we mature until we become the mothers and fathers in the spiritual sense, that we are discipling people, that we are sitting people down and tell them, don't do this, telling them the right way to walk their life. We become fathers. And notice what he says to the fathers. Do not exasperate your children. Sometimes, because we want to honor God so much, we raise the bar too high way beyond the maturity level of the people we're trying to disciple. We require more of them than they're ready to handle. Don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in the nurture, the admonition, the teaching, the instruction of the Lord. In other words, sit down and explain to them the why. And sometimes the why is that it will go well with you if you do. That your days on this earth will be long if you do. Do you want the promise to work in your life? We have to walk it out. So we are children and we are fathers. And then in verse 5, he starts out with the word slaves. He's talking to slaves. Now in the 21st century, that makes us mighty uncomfortable because we all know slavery, owning another human being, is wrong. But we, we're going to miss everything he says if we throw it all out because we don't like the word slaves. They translated it appropriately because the culture of the day was that slavery was just an understood fact of life. We would resist that today. But let's not resist the message that he's giving. So I'm going to substitute the word employees. Because that's, that's the world in which we live. So he says, slaves or employees, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly. As if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. You see, mankind may look at whether we're employees or employers, whether we're free or slave, but God doesn't see that difference. God looks down at us and he sees us all the same. He doesn't see one group of people any better than another group of people. God just made us all to be equal and have an opportunity to serve him. So not so so we're employees. Not and we should treat them as if we're working for Christ, working for the Lord. Even though I'm working in some secular business, I'm manufacturing or I'm delivering or I'm selling something, we should do it as if we're working for Christ. Not just when, there's, when the supervisor has his eye on us, but all the time. Because God will reward us as if he sees us. 
So we should treat them just like we would if it was Christ we were serving and serve him wholeheartedly, not just to get by, not just to do enough, but put our life in it. As a matter of fact, maybe our supervisor would see somebody he wants to promote if he saw us putting our whole heart in what we were doing. If we uh, excelled at what we were doing for a paycheck, but we knew we were doing it for more than a paycheck. We're doing it for the Lord because this is what he's called us to do at this point in our life. And he says, the Lord will reward you. This is a promise. I'm going to hang on to this promise that the Lord's going to reward me. He's going to reward you, not just with a paycheck, but he's going to advance you all the way through life if you do it like that, if you, you, you work as if you're serving the Lord. Then there's another one in verse 9. This is uh, the fourth principle we learn. It says, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. So not only are we employees, we also employers. If, if we start at the bottom and God promotes us and advances us up there, so one of these days we're going to be at the top, not at the bottom. God's just going to advance us as we go through life. And one of these days we're going to be somebody else's boss. And what does he say to bosses here? Treat them with respect. Treat them like they're part of your team. Not like they're somebody you can boss around, but you're part of your team should be that way in the church as well. There, we start out at the bottom where we have elders and deacons mentoring us. And as we grow on in our spiritual life, the next thing you know, we're the elders and deacons ministering to other people, discipling other people. We grow along the way. And God is watching. And he's not, doesn't play favorites, treats everybody the same. That's good news. All right, we've got to keep moving here to get through these nine. Um, Here's the fifth principle. It's in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Not in your strength, not in your power. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And uh, it, it's, it's like it works backwards here. When we want to be strong, we kind of puff up our muscles and hold our chest out and we use... We, we use very firm words when we communicate that strength. But with God's power, it's the opposite. You humble yourself. You don't puff yourself up and use big, profound words because you got God on your side. No, you humble yourself because you got God on your side. You don't have to be tough. Let God be tough. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And if we'll discipline ourselves to do that, God comes through for us. He fights our battles. As long as I'm fighting my own battles, he just lets me swing away. But I want him to fight my battles. All right, here's the sixth principle we learned. It's in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God, the full armor of God, so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. Do you know Satan has some schemes? He has some plans. He has, uh, King James uses the word, the wiles of the devil. He has a strategy. 
He learns what works for us and he keeps setting us up with those traps again and again and again. He has schemes. We have defensive armor to put on. That's the sixth thing I want us to see. We have defensive armor to put on. Put on the full armor. How do you put it on? Just like you put on a jacket, like I put on this shirt before I came to church this morning. I got it out of the closet. I put one arm in one side, the other arm in. I pulled it up over me and it covered me up. We need to put on the full armor of God. We need to put it on. Pick it up. Put it on. That means think about it. Meditate on it. Faith. Protection. My shield. I need to put this armor on. There, all these pieces of armor are defensive. They protect us from the enemy's schemes, the fiery darts that he throws our way. If we don't think these, the, the spiritual armor is important to us, we will lay it down and we'll go through life like we've got it all figured out. How's that working for you anyway? Keep that armor on. Think about it. Process it. And remind yourself again and again and again because the devil's scheme is he wants to sidetrack us. If he, can, if he can get us all wrapped up in politics or if he can get us all wrapped up in COVID-19 scares, if he can get us all wrapped up in our fear of what's going to happen with the economy in the future, if we get all wrapped up in these things, the devil has already won because we have set our armor down. Don't do that, church. Pick that armor up. We have a full set of armor to put on. The problem with the church is we're not putting it on. We're saying we believe it, but it's just laying there. We need to get it on, remind ourselves, and practice that we are spiritual people. Let's go on to number seven. It's in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Hear this, church. This is important for us to understand. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we have two enemies he's talking about. One is an enemy here in this world, the powers of this dark world. I would say the powers of this fallen world. Because I think most of us Christians recognize the world is fallen. We're in a fallen state. It's not, it's not going to get better and better and better. It's going to get worse and worse and worse because we're in a fallen state in this world. And there are rulers and powers and authorities that are fallen. They don't understand the things of God. They are the, the political forces in this world. And I have my own conspiracy theory I'd like to share with you. I think there is a spiritual conspiracy in this world yes. to hold back the things of God, to hold back the principles of God. There is a conspiracy, and it's in Washington, and it's on Wall Street, and it's on all levels of this world. It's anything to keep us from focusing on God. That's a conspiracy, I believe, is happening in the world. And it's, in, it's not in our favor. It's against the things of God. So we got to get our armor on. we got to fight on our hands if we're going to continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he says there's another enemy we have, and these are the spiritual forces of evil 
in the heavenly realms. These are enemies you can't see. You can't vote these enemies out. These are enemies you can't see where they're coming from. You don't even know they're in existence until all of a sudden they've dumped on us. The point is we know our enemy is spiritual, not political. I've been around long enough. I'm old enough. None of your business how old I am. But I've been around long enough to see a whole lot of presidents come into the White House. Some are Republicans. Some are Democrats. And everything continues on the same no matter who's in the White House. There's always changes. There's always struggles. There's always battles. The politics is not the solution. It's prayer. It's connecting with God because it's a spiritual battle we're fighting. I got to hustle. Verse 13, here's the next one. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then. We are supposed to stand firm. We're supposed to know what we believe. We're supposed to stand on what we believe and not allow anybody to pull that away from us. We're to be people of faith, standing firm on solid ground. If you believe that, say amen. amen. If we believe it, now we need to take some action. We need to do something with it. We need to move forward with it. Stand your ground. Don't budge because there's always going to be things coming that are going to make you doubt. I don't know how many times I've doubted in my lifetime, but I have to keep coming back to the truth. I have to keep reminding myself what the truth is. I sometimes am living in an illusion, but the reality is the spiritual side and God's connection with me and that he has this world in his hand and I'm a part of the world and I'm in his hand in spite of the resistance that's out there. We stand our ground. So defend your position. Sometimes it's just, it's just helpful to say, I'm standing on the promises of God not budging. Remind myself of that. Remind myself what the promises are. Let's, uh, let's move on then to this last one in verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. So the last, the last thing we need to learn is we are a praying church. The church God wants is a praying church. Whether we're meeting in the sanctuary or whether we're meeting in our living room and watching this online, we need to remember that we're a praying church. That we connect with God in prayer. This is what Jesus meant when he said, watch and pray. He didn't say, close your eyes and bow your head. Pretend like you're all alone. He says, watch and pray. Pray continually all the time, talking to God. But keep your eyes open and look around you because the language of the Spirit is coincidence. And when you see coincidences happen, there you see the Spirit of God at work in your life. We're a praying church, and the gospel is a mystery. A mystery is something that 
There is an answer there. It's just not evident. You have to look at all the aspects before you come up with a conclusion. The gospel is a mystery. When you share your story with someone else, it's like a seed planted in them. And there begins to be a growth that begins to mature. You, you, you plant a seed and the seed takes a while before it even appears and shows up and sp sprouts up out of the ground. But it's growing all the time. There's a process in that seed all the time when you tell your story. So I want to encourage you to tell your story. And two last things I want to encourage you with. I would encourage you, if you want to be a praying church, you need to get with other praying people and let them teach you how to pray. The problem with the average Christian is we don't have a clue how to pray. We pray for 30 seconds and we run out of things to say. Our prayer is all over. Get on a prayer team. If you go to, to, to the website for New Hope Christian Center, there's a, a box there that says, join the prayer team. You, you, you log on to that, and it'll take you through, and we will send you prayer requests that come into the church on a regular basis daily. When a request comes in, you'll know what it is. It's not so you can go gossip and pass it around, get on the phone and call up a bunch of people. It's so that you can pray, talk to God on behalf of that person. Join a prayer team. And here's the other thing I want us to know about prayer. We are, we, we are right now celebrating our 40th anniversary. And we have, because it's our 40th anniversary, we have uh, challenged ourselves, Anita and I, to see 40 souls come to Christ between now and the end of the year. That's about seven a month. We have to work on this. 40 souls for the whole church. That's not Anita and I to lead somebody to the Lord. That's our church to lead somebody to the Lord. So... The only way to know if we've met our goal or not is to keep a record. So I want you to begin right now praying for souls, souls that you know, who you can be praying for, people you work with, peop relatives, people in the neighborhood, people you have a relationship with. Pray for them. Start praying and don't quit praying. And when you have an opportunity to see a result of your prayer, whether it's in our church or not, you're praying for a soul and that soul makes a decision for Christ, would you call me up or shoot me an email because I'm the one keeping the record and seeing if we get those 40 people or not. We are specifically targeting 40 people. I want you to be in prayer with me on that. 40 people by December 31st. I believe God can do this. But we, he needs our help. So I want to encourage you, share your faith, look for an opportunity to plant that seed, and expect the harvest to come in. And when it does, when you lead your granddaughter to Christ, or when you see somebody you prayed for on the, in, at work, uh, make a decision for Christ, even if it's in another church, send me that email. Give me that call. I want to know that God is answering our prayers because we are a praying church. This is what the church is supposed to be in the 21st century, in this world we live in today. Do it wholeheartedly, and God will bring breakthroughs. I believe that. In Jesus' name.